In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be seated. Have you ever had someone in your life take credit for work they really didn't do? A classmate, a workmate, someone who was just there and got, got the reward for it all. Anybody? Okay, I think most of us have. Now, it used to be that a singer or a comic could borrow a song or a joke from far, far away, and you'd never know that it wasn't theirs. Right? It used to be easier for students to borrow papers or material for papers or preachers to borrow sermons. But thanks to databases and the internet and YouTube, the minute that happens now, what does everybody know? You borrowed it. That's not yours. It's not hard to find out anymore. But today, if you want to borrow or pay homage, you give credit, right? If you're putting it in a paper, what do you do? Put the notations there. You quote it. You make sure the right people get credit. Hold on to that thought for just a couple of minutes. The Lord your God will raise you up, a prophet like me, from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. Now in our reading today, we're heading towards the ends of the book of Moses. We've read over the last several months about Moses' life. From his birth and his sisters helping to make sure his mother was his nurse, to his first attempt to bring justice to his people through killing a taskmaster. His time in the middle of the desert as a shepherd. And of course that day on the mountain of God when God spoke to him from the burning bush. We've heard in the last few months the Exodus, and now we're into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is taking place at the end of the 40 years of wandering, when Moses knew his time on earth was getting short. And here he's letting God's people know that God will not leave them alone. One day there's going to be a prophet that will come, Moses says, that's even better than me. Because what does Moses spend his time as a prophet, as the deliverer of his people, what's he spend his time doing? Seems like every other chapter he's arguing with them. They're saying, Moses, you're not hearing from God this time. Moses, why'd you lead us into the desert to die? But Moses says, one day there'll come a prophet that you'll actually listen to. Though I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that John in his gospel and Peter in the book of Acts both point to the same person as the fulfillment of this verse. Anybody want to guess who that was? Jesus, right? Why do we need prophets anyway? We get this funny verse here, right? This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore, or ever see again this great fire, I'll die. Now back in Deuteronomy 5, Moses and the people of God. And the adults here are the children and the grandchildren of the adults who left with Moses in the Exodus. They're camping. And they're waiting. And Moses goes out and reiterates the Ten Commandments to them. It lets them know that God's covenant was not simply with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It wasn't just with their parents. That God was making the covenant with them too. And then to emphasize that point, they heard the voice of God. And his presence on the mountain, it said, was like a great fire. And seeing and hearing God's voice frightens them. Frightens them so much, they ask God not to do it again. 
So God says, all right, I'll talk through Moses and I'll talk through other prophets until this other prophet comes. Then goes on, God goes on to say, anyone who does not heed the words that the prophets speak in my name, I'll hold them accountable. Now because they don't want to hear from God in the fire and the thunder of his own voice, he gives them the opportunity to listen to the voice of the prophets instead. And God says, if you don't listen, I'm going to hold you accountable. And then God answers the question, how do we know that someone is a prophet of God? And not just in it for the prophet, right? Any prophet who speaks the name of other gods or presumes to speak in my name a word that I did not command the prophet to speak, God says that prophet will die. God says, listen, I'm going to handle anyone who comes to you and claims to be a prophet and speaks something I didn't want or in the name of another god. And I want to say this, because people still claim to be prophets today. In my experience, those people want to make predictions about the future. They don't want to talk about the things that the prophets actually spend a majority of their time talking about. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel and Daniel. Read all those other prophets. They talk a little bit about what God's going to do in the future. They spend a lot of time talking to the way people were living then. And God continues speaking in that passage and says, Listen, if someone claims to be a prophet, and what they speak doesn't come to pass, don't listen to them. So if someone says to you, God spoke and he told me that the Eagles are winning the Super Bowl this year, guess what? They're not a prophet. We can laugh about somebody who says, the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl this year because God told me. People say all sorts of things that God tells them. But it doesn't come to pass. Don't listen to them. Our gospel begins. They went to Capernaum when the Sabbath came. He entered the synagogue and he taught. Now in Mark's gospel, Jesus has just called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples. And he goes to Capernaum. And when it's the Sabbath day, we find Jesus in the synagogue teaching. But his teaching was different. Mark says, they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now Mark doesn't reproduce Jesus' teaching here, which I think is a shame, because I would have loved to have heard more about what Jesus was teaching about the law and the prophets. But Mark says what was setting him apart was that he was speaking with authority. Now at the time, the scribes were experts, but they were experts in how everyone had interpreted in the past of the tradition. They weren't afraid to say, well, you know, this rabbi here says this about this passage, and that rabbi there says this. But it would be very presumptuous of them in their own minds to talk about something new without having the support of all the people talking in the past. But Jesus, Jesus didn't have to rely on the authority of the teachers that came before him. And it wasn't that he was quoting from some obscure or some distant tradition they were not aware of. Jesus could expound on God's word himself, for he was there when it was written. He knew what was going to happen. And while he was teaching that morning, someone came with an unclean spirit and challenged Jesus. And here we see something that we'll see over and over again in Jesus' ministry. He stops what he's doing, and he brings freedom and redemption to those in need. People are the main focus of his ministry, not words, and not always doing what he's supposed to do. 
And this leads those there to comment. They're all amazed and they kept asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. People were impressed by his teaching and now see the light just a little bit more. They can see that Jesus is just not another teacher, not just there to expound the law and the prophets better. But he's one who's come to bring freedom and forgiveness and has the actual authority and power to do so. Hallelujah, I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The psalmist here is writing a psalm of thanksgiving, praising God for what he's done on their behalf and on behalf of all the children of God. He goes on to say, He makes his marvelous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Think about the things God has done in the life of his people. We read the Bible, we read about miraculous escapes, healings, all the things the prophet said and did. The times, as the psalmist said, when he sent redemption to his people. He commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. God does not just sit on high in judgment. He's not throwing lightning bolts and helping his favorites. God has since the beginning been, as Jonah said, a God who is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. The psalmist ends by reminding them that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who act accordingly have a good understanding. God's praise endures forever. The psalmist is reminding us that our response to God's goodness, our thanksgiving offering, should be to walk in that forgiveness, walking into those things that we know we are called to do, walking in the path of God. Talking about that, Paul says, Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we all know all of us possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, and love builds up. We have questions about how we should live in response to God's goodness. They had them in Paul's day, we still have them today. When we started the readings in 1 Corinthians a couple of weeks ago, I let you know that the church in Corinth is having arguments over almost everything. One of the arguments is over what's permissible for them to eat. Paul starts by reminding that everyone has knowledge. Each one of us has opinions on everything, don't we? Paul reminds us, though, that our knowledge puffs up. It makes us feel better. But love, love is what builds us up. Paul then says, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is just one God, the Father, from whom all things, and for whom all we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things, and through whom we exist. Paul reminds them the reality is this, there's one God for us. As he tells the Ephesians, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But Paul also wants to, to remind them and for them to be aware that not everyone has this knowledge. Not everyone has this life experience, right? Paul writes, it's not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Some have become accustomed to idols until now. They still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Paul is telling them that some of them grew up worshiping idols, 
not worshiping God. And although they fully embrace Jesus, and they understand Jesus' teaching, it's not what goes into us that defiles someone. It's what comes out. Paul also says some of them grew up thinking these idols were very real. And it affects the way they view the world. And it affects their conscience. And for people like that, arguing with them, making fun of them, it's not going to change their minds. In fact, it often hardens their resolve. You ever been trying to explain to someone why you think something? And the more you try to explain it to them, the more their back goes up, and the more they're arguing back. And sometimes it gets to the point where it quits being in love. And Paul's advice here is this. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. These types of things shouldn't be issues that divide us. We shouldn't be prepared to go to the mattresses over them. Paul's saying that the freedom and the liberty we have in Christ, on the one hand, have to be balanced by the love of our neighbor on the other. And Paul goes so far as to say, Therefore, as food is calling someone to fall, I will not eat meat, so that I might not be the cause of one of them to fall. Paul reminds the Corinthians that for him, his brothers and sisters are more important than any freedom he has. Just like Jesus, we have to be willing to stop what we're doing and love people. Now, Paul here is not saying permanently give up your freedom, but to love them the way we would want to be loved. If someone's struggling with alcohol, with drinking, really struggling, we want to take it seriously and listen. And we don't want to drink alcohol in front of them. We don't want to tempt them to go back into something that could cause them to stumble. Paul is encouraging the church here to follow Jesus' example, to prioritize people. Jesus came to bring freedom and forgiveness, to be that prophet who was like Moses but better. And we're called to love each and every one of God's children, whether we understand them or not. Amen.